<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We've got a lot on the program today. Our one guest, Mickey Huff, is going to drop by, editor of Project Censored. I'm a four-time recipient of the Project Censored Award. He's going to talk about what they've got this year. And we're also going to get into... Should the unvaccinated be last in line for COVID-necessitated transplants? 10% of all the lung transplants in America now are going to COVID patients, which means that people who would traditionally be in line for transplants, and there is a line, are finding transplants unavailable to them. Is this an ethical issue? We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to start out with my rant today from HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Is Greed the Reason We're in Omicron's, or Omicron's Cross, I've heard it pronounced both ways, in Omicron's crosshairs? I mean, there was a time in America where we didn't think greed was a good thing, right? I, I, you know, we recognized that it was one of the seven deadly sins. In fact, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, it was the worst of the seven deadly sins, according to Jesus. But here we have this new variant that apparently emerged in South Africa, which has for 14 months now been begging for a waiver, a patent waiver. They call them TRIPS waivers. You know, you've heard Lori Wallach on this program uh, over the last uh, year. You know, we've talked about this probably a dozen times on this show with her as a guest. The, that the, the proposal is to say, okay, you know, countries that don't have a lot of money, can't afford to buy these vaccines uh, at, you know, at the really high prices, should be able to manufacture, but, but do have advanced manufacturing capabilities, should be able to manufacture them, them, them themselves and pay a small fee, a small royalty to the companies that invented them, but not the full freight, right? And not have to buy them from those companies. And, you know, there's precedent for this. We've done this with other things, and, you know, over the years. And, and it's, a, you know, it's an appeal to the World Trade Organization to basically suspend patent protections. And, of course, the companies, I mean, Pfizer's going to make billions on this. Moderna making billions on this. Johnson & Johnson, while they're making billions on this, they're also declaring bankruptcy to avoid paying liability for people who got mesothelioma and lung cancer from their baby powder. Uh, it, so why is all this happening? 
Why is it that this variant is emerging in South Africa where you know the vaccination rate is so very, very low? Because of greed. Greed is the bottom line here. You know, for, for, for 10, 15 years, we've had a caller, Gary, you know, who constantly, it used to be whenever he called in, the first thing he'd say is, greed has no heart, Tom. And he's right. The single most brilliant and the single most evil thing that Ronald Reagan and, Tom, and, and Milton Friedman did in the last century was convincing Americans that greed was no longer one of the seven deadly sins, but instead was some sort of an essential good that should be rewarded and celebrated. And as a direct consequence of this 40-year experiment, this greed is good experiment, you can call it neoliberalism, you can call it Reaganism, it is both. America now has the highest COVID death rate in the developed world. Our democracy is in tatters. And you got armed white power militias proudly uh, terrorizing Christmas shoppers. I don't know if you caught this on Long Island, you know, uh, literally out terrorizing people who are going Christmas shopping. Yeah, right. That's, that's so sweet, right? The United Nations has documented the fact that the United States has the most billionaires in the world. We also have the worst poverty in the developed world and the worst homelessness crisis in the developed world. Why? Because for 40 years, this, this Reagan idea that greed is good has been literally killing America and Americans. And I'm making the argument that we need to return to, quote, traditional values in America. What are those traditional values? I'm not talking in code here like Jerry Falwell, where traditional values meant segregation and hating on, on uh, you know, uh, people who aren't straight white men. No, I'm talking about trashing greed. Let's just start rejecting greed. This was a traditional value in many regards in this country. It, it certainly has been in religion. I mean, for 2,000 years, Christianity has preached to Judaism for longer than that. Jesus in Luke 2, uh, 12, 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Before Reagan, we had a 91% top income tax bracket that was designed to protect us from the behavior of the greediest among us. And it did, it grew this huge middle class between the 1930s and the 1980s. The, most, the largest and most powerful and successful middle class in the history of the world, which is now gutted. 65% of us were in the middle class when Reagan came into office, it's now 45%. It's why we enforce laws against monopoly in the United States, was to restrain greedy behavior in corporate boardrooms and among CEOs. It's why we prided ourselves as having this huge middle class. We also realize that when people are overtaken by greed, they are suffering from mental illness. We used to know this. Remember the story of Howard Hughes walking around, you know, with his hundreds of millions of dollars in his hotel room in Las Vegas with his feet in his in uh, uh, Kleenex boxes and long hair and long fingernails and all this kind of stuff? Or the Hunt brothers who were, you know, funding the John Birch Society and everything way back in the day, the, the guys who tried to corner the silver market. One of them, H.L. Hunt, was the richest man in the world at the time. And they were psychologically in hell, these people. St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologica calls greed one of only two capital sins. A capital sin is like the worst sin there is because all the other sins come out of it.
And he identified pride and greed as the two, the only two capital sins. He said it would seem that no other special sins besides pride and greed should be called capital, one from which other sins arise. Paul, as an old man, wrote a letter to Timothy, who was one of his young disciples. And he said, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. In the 5th century, St. Augustine wrote in his book, City of, God, City of God, quote, greed is not a defect in the gold that is desired, but in the man who loves it perversely. But Reagan and, and Milton Friedman and Ayn Rand and these other libertarian luminaries, the Rand Pauls of their day, believed that because greed is such an electrifying and powerful driver of behavior, that instead of trying to control it or suppress it, we should embrace it, that it would be a social good. It should be celebrated. It should be amplified. But that was a lie. Greed doesn't feed a baby when she cries. Greed doesn't protect homes from fire and crime. Greed doesn't house the homeless or heal the ill. Greed didn't care for the injured Samaritan, the foreigner by the roadside. Greed does not bring people together. It tears societies apart. And that's why it's been roundly condemned from Aristotle, who said, quote, greed has no boundaries, to today. Forty years of Reagan's neoliberal experiment has proven that unrestrained greed brings us massive tax cuts for the morbidly rich, creates widespread homelessness, sends our jobs overseas, repeatedly crashes our economy so we have to bail out the billionaires who caused the problem. We don't have to, but we choose to because why? Because we've got politicians who are on the take too, exploits workers, and today is poisoning our atmosphere and our oceans with carbon dioxide and other pollutants that could ultimately end human civilization, maybe even human life on Earth. But the neoliberals say, but greed drives the economy. No, this is, you know, my Gordon Gecko, right? Michael Douglas, greed is a good. No, it's a lie. People who, don't, who go to work every day don't do so because they're greedy. They do so to care for their families and, and hopefully because they find some meaning in their work. I certainly do. Most entrepreneurs don't start businesses because they're greedy. They're trying to build a business that can contribute to society while providing for their families. Plus, it's fun. They don't, we don't buy things because we're greedy. We purchase things to meet needs or increase comfort for ourselves and our kids. Before the Republican Party embraced greed as a prime virtue in the 1980s, we had a long list of our most beloved politicians, people who clearly lost money going into public service. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, lost his life. Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, Jack and Robert Kennedy, Jimmy Carter. All of these people left office poorer than they entered it. Today, our politics have been almost entirely corrupted by greed since five greed-loving so-called conservatives on the Supreme Court in Citizens United said, it's okay, it's a good thing for politicians to be owned by big business and billionaires. And therefore, now it's almost impossible because there's, you know, the entire Republican Party is bought in on this. It was their idea to begin with, Reagan's. 
and you've got a handful of Democrats, people like Kurt Schrader here in Oregon, you know, it's a, that, who, are, who are just, oh, Big Pharma wants to give me money? Cool. And so good politicians can't even take on Big Pharma or Big Oil or Big Banks or Big Tech or Big Billionaires. Greed is the essential poison that we've been warned about for years. We used to embrace stories that resisted greed. A Christmas Carol by Dickens. You know, the, the, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. The story of the Grinch. We loved the idea of people redeeming themselves from greed. These are the values that we have to return to as a country. And if we fail to, if we continue to, to embrace this Reaganista idea that greed is the best thing there is, our country's gonna be destroyed. By the way, you look up greed in the dictionary, what do you see? A picture of Donald Trump. But say you, how do we do this? Tyrone in Harlem, New York. What's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Tom, the problems that you say about greed. I remember the picture say the picture where the God said greed is good, yeah. and where there's a there's a lot of rich people and a very affluent people that believe this is the only way this country is going to uh, operate. Yeah, I know. Not gonna, right, this is, that was the not, sales pitch of, of Milton Friedman <laughs> and Ronald Reagan. Yes. So, Harness so, the power so, of greed. Absolutely. And this is what they're going to do. And to say that we need to go back to, uh, uh, I guess, the days. And, and you know what that brings. That brings um, chauvinistic attitude as far oh, as Oh, yeah, that, that phrase, traditional <laughs> values. That's why I said yeah. I am not talking about the traditional values yeah. of racism and homophobia yeah. and all that other BS. When Jerry Falwell says traditional values, that's what he's talking about. I'm talking about traditional values of love and compassion and understanding and, and brother and sisterhood. I understand it, and see, the problem with that is you got the people in powerful positions that's going to turn it into the way they want it to operate. Yeah, I know. And, 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 and it's just like you said, how do we get out of this? Because this is a vicious cycle. You know, you got, the, like you say, you got the politicians, even when they're not, when they come out of that, that the political realm, they go into the, the, the business realm. They go working for these pharmaceuticals. Yeah. They go working for the oil companies. So we, they're, they're caught up in a vicious cycle, whereas they, all have, they have to be beholden to the people that's going to give them the money, that's going to maintain their way of life. Yeah, here's, here's my hope, Tyrone. Back in the 1920s, we saw greed unleashed and it crashed the economy. And in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, people who remembered that era and 60s, people actually rejected greed, right? They're, I mean, it, and, and, and our media reflected that. That's where, you know, Jimmy Stewart, it's a, one, it's a wonderful, it's a story about greedy Mr. Potter, as I recall, right? The, 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 the guy who was the landlord for half the town. Um, you know, Absolutely. having having an awakening, as it were, um, we had and Dr. Seuss and the Grinch that stole Christmas. That was in the 1950s. Um, the, you know, back then we had media that celebrated the opposite of greed. You know, generosity, let's say. And now, you know, for the last couple 30, 40 years, we have instead had a media that celebrates, you know, 
cop shows and violence and you know oh, just yeah, weird we stuff. We idolize brutality. Exactly. We idolize brutality, which is so outrageous, and they put it on everywhere. And I looked at, I, I said, there's 600. It says 614 or 612 billionaires in this country alone. Yeah. Uh, just one billionaire handed out one million dollars to every American. How much money is that? Well, that's not, that's not even. It, it wouldn't be a lot, actually. It, you know, it wouldn't be a lot compared to one person of one billionaire gave. Yeah. I'm talking about six hundred. I'm just saying how how far we are with the with the wealth gap that we don't even recognize that these people have so much money that yeah. they can make every American in this country a millionaire just by giving up a quarter of what they have. But because they need to have so much more money, I need to have more money. To, like you said, the greed don't even help people recognize that. Wait a minute. We yeah. can live a lot better than what we are. Yeah, I'm with you, Tyrone. It's a mental a illness. Better. It's a it's a cultural, yes. uh, culturally contagious mental illness. Tyrone, thank you. Yes. Always nice to hear from you. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the line with us is the director of Project Censored, the president of the Media Freedom Foundation, a professor of social science and history, and the co-host of the Project Censored show, and the co-editor with Andy Lee Roth of the new forthcoming book, State of the Free Press 2022, all over at projectcensored.org. Mickey Huff. Hey, Mickey, welcome, welcome to the program. So uh, tell us, first of all, for people who are not familiar with Project Censored, give us a, a snapshot of the organization, what you, what you all are doing and what the award is. 
absolutely. Tom, it's great to be on with you. It's been a minute since we've crossed paths. Um, much has been afoot at Project Censored uh, since then, and we continue to do the annual book. We started our own publishing imprint this past year on the Censored Press. We are a media watchdog organization that was founded in 1976. We are a critical media literacy education organization, so we want to teach people how to critically navigate uh, an increasingly complicated uh, media ecosystem. So each year we have students research independent and alternative uh, news sources to find the most significant underreported or censored news stories that either don't make it into the corporate media at all, uh, omission, or when they do, they're significantly distorted. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the elevator pitch about what we do at Project Censored is we report the news that doesn't make the news and we analyze why. We do an annual book. We have a weekly radio program on 50 stations. We do documentary films. And most significantly, um, it's our curriculum that you can get for free at projectcensored.org on critical media literacy. This year, for example, in the book that's out in early December, um, we had over 200 students and about 20 faculty from 10 campuses doing research on the top stories this year. And then there are scores of other people involved uh, along the way. So uh, the network is broadening. And unfortunately, Tom, as you well know and cover every day, um, we need media watchdogs and people trying to uncensor the corporate media every day. Yeah, I'm completely with you, and and uh, have you know I've been aware of Project Censor for a long time. I've uh, because I've received four-year awards, but anyhow, indeed you have. <laughs> um, your your I found your number six story this year, uh, or actually this is from the 20, 2019 and twenty twenty year. I guess you you haven't yet published your twenty twenty one ones. Uh, that's coming out in December, early December. Okay. So okay. you're now looking. Um, yeah, you're. Yeah, you, well, year. if you're looking at that, go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was the ahead. shadow. This, this, the, the fact that there are 450 of these right-wing websites pretending to be local news organizations, and and I would say at the same time that hedge, you know, hedge funds now control more than half of all uh, local newspapers in America, but there's this this shadow network that people think are real news that are run by you know crazed right-wingers. 450 of these. Yeah, and that's, you know, probably a more conservative estimate. And basically, it just, it's, um, you know, you go anything from astroturfing to the propaganda of native advertising to the different groups that will, um, you know, infiltrate organizations um, to spread disinformation. You know, these are major, major problems. I think the story that you're talking about was from last year. But, you know, this year in the book that's not yet out, um, we've got another example of the kind of thing with organizations that want to blacklist people that report about crimes or uh, uh, violations of human rights, particularly around issues of Palestine, particularly around the elections that are taking place in Nicaragua, and of course, the longstanding efforts of the U.S. to destabilize Venezuela. So, um, you know, again, in the last several years, we've been talking a lot about the problems of fake news, but not as though they're new and not in a weaponized way. But again, back to critical media literacy education, we want people to be able to understand and sort of deconstruct this kind of media propaganda on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great hope, of course, would be such that Project Censored or our curriculum wouldn't be needed. Um, but unfortunately, it is because of stories like you just mentioned, right. that there are really pernicious and insidious ways um, that information ecosystems have been both infiltrated and distorted. And we, again, we need to be trying to teach people how to think critically, not what to think. Yeah, amen. We're talking with Mickey Huff, the director of Project Censored, projectcensored.org, the website. Myth Info is Mickey's uh, Twitter handle. Mickey, the newspapers around America, the local newspapers, half of them being owned by hedge funds, what does this mean for America? 
Well, this is a long process of, of uh, deregulation and corporate conglomerate ownership. We had people like Ben Bigdikian, as you know, as a canary in that media coal mine yeah. in the early 80s, warning about deregulation, warning about media conglomerates. The Clinton 96 telecom bill really. That was the one that, that really war. kneecapped the whole thing, wasn't it? When Bill Clinton signed totally that 96. Was. We've now got half a dozen corporations controlling about 90% of the media, about four to five in the tech sector for social media and online internet control. It's a really major problem, which is why we focus on the alternative and independent journalists that are still out there, still reporting in weekly, still reporting online, but they're overlooked, right? The corporate media don't look at these kind of stories. These are bottom-up stories that look at marginalized communities, that look at social justice issues, that look at corporate corruption. In other words, these are the kind of stories that the press, the corporate press, should be dealing with. They should be covering, right? Mm. You know, we, we want to follow, and we follow clearly, and this year's book, by the way, the foreword was written by Danielle McLean, the Society of Professional Journalists. And one of the things we educate over and over and over again is we say that people should follow the SPJ's Code of Ethics. Journalists should seek truth and report it, minimize harm, act independently, and be accountable and transparent. And at Project Censored, that's the kind of journalism we've honored for 45 years. Amen. Mickey Huff, projectcensored.org is the website. Uh, check it out. Mickey, thanks a lot for dropping by today. Great talking with you. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Tom. You too. Take care. Thank you. Okay, one other issue I want to put on your radar screen here, and then I'll pick up your calls and we can, we can hash all this stuff out. As I mentioned uh, in the intro, one in 10 lung transplants today in the United States are going to COVID patients, virtually all of them people who are unvaccinated. And the National Public Radio actually did a piece about this. It was written by Carrie Sheridan. It was published on uh, November 28th. I guess that was yesterday. And the, uh, the headline is, once rare, lung transplants for COVID-19 patients are rising quickly. And, you know, this does really raise some serious ethical questions. Um, in fact, they, they noted that if uh, this is one of the, uh, the chief medical officer uh, for UNOS said, if there were more lungs available for transplants, I, be, I believe the numbers would be greater than they are. But, you know, so what's happening is people who have actual lung diseases outside of COVID, you know, emphysema, cystic fibrosis, pulmonary fibrosis, those lung transplants this last year are actually down. Why? Because the lungs are going to people with COVID. And it, uh, by the way, one of these operations costs about 1.2 million bucks for a double lung transplant. Now, you know, people who have smoked can get a lung transplant. In fact, that's one of the more common reasons for one. But you have to quit smoking first. And, you know, because not judging people's past behavior is fairly standard in medicine. But, you know, if you want a liver transplant, you got to stop drinking. If you want a lung transplant, you got to stop smoking. And at the very least, what these, what these transplant doctors are arguing is that after you have a transplant, you have to take immunosuppressive drugs. So if you got a vaccine after you have the transplant, or after you have a transplant, the vaccine won't be as effective. So they, at the very least, want to require everybody getting a lung transplant who is doing so because they had COVID to get fully vaccinated before they get the transplant while their immune system is still working and is not under the influence of immunosuppressive drugs. 
But, you know, should we be denying lungs to people who have COPD or other diseases? Simply because they didn't get, they chose not to get vaccinated? Or, I shouldn't necessarily say simply, because they chose not to get vaccinated? Is watching Fox News a pre-existing condition? Or are these people simply victims of the Murdoch family and Donald Trump and, and you know others who are promoting these lies about the vaccines and about COVID? Tom Harmon here with you. So uh, on Twitter, Muggsy's rap sheet <laughs> says, Tom, in my humble opinion, being an anti-vaxxer in need of a transplant should be classified the same as alcoholics and drug addicts. People engage in unhealthy, life-threatening behavior they are likely to repeat, knocking them to the bottom of the list. I don't know. I, you know, uh, not being vaccinated, I'm not sure that you can call that an addiction. I mean, you know, it's, but anyhow, let's uh, pick up your phone calls. Gary in Overland Park, Kansas. Hey, Gary, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, I just wanted to say you're absolutely right about uh, greed causing problems and contributing to things like the vaccine. Um, We've always had problems, but greed and wealth concentration magnify them because it squeezes everyone who's a non-billionaire. It squeezes those people in in Africa that can't get the vaccine. Uh, it's, It's like a robber. It it robs our democracy, as you just read about Germany. It robs our wages as billionaires consume more wealth and concentrate more and reduce wages for people. It harms our health because we don't have health insurance that we need in order to to survive. Uh, if, If people realized it was such a robber, they'd rise up like it was some some masked man trying to get into their house. So, Gary, my, my humble suggestion, as it were, at the end of my op-ed, because, I, you know, I, I, I think I analyzed the problem fairly well. You know, I mean, for, for mm-hmm. thousands of years, humans in, in all parts of the world, in every major religion in the world, uh, you know, this is also true among Aboriginal and Indigenous societies, although I didn't get into that in the article. You know, there's an absolute consensus that greed is a bad thing. And in many cases, there are actually laws and policies against greed. For example, in the Old Testament, every seven years, all or every 49 years, every seven times seven years, on the 50th year, all wealth is equalized, right? Everybody, everybody throws everything they have into the pot. All the slaves are freed. This was obviously, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, but everybody throws everything they have into the pot. Everything gets equally distributed to everybody else, and society reboots itself. So we've had ways of dealing with greed. The only thing I can think of right now over the short term with any kind of immediacy, well, two things. Number one is for Democrats to start using that word a lot when describing Republican behaviors, Republican policies, Republican legislation, and individual Republicans, uh, and a few of their own Democratic colleagues, number one. And number two, is for our media this is sort of a uh, you know a sideways appeal to the movie directors and and screenplay writers and actors who may listen to my program or or read the hartman report to say hey let's go back to producing movies like a christmas carol or like you know it's a wonderful world where we're confronted with the horrors and the evil or the grinch that stole christmas for that matter we're confronted with the horrors and the evil of greed and we conquer it do you have any, any suggestions beyond that, Gary? I'm looking for ideas. 
I think you're absolutely right. We have to have Hollywood and TV and the media. We have to have compelling stories. I'm thinking, uh, in addition to the ones you've mentioned, The Grapes of Wrath was a powerful indictment of the greedy system. Uh, one of the reasons I wrote my book, The Fourth Circle of Hell, was with the idea it might be something that Hollywood or that some type of media could take and use as a thriller. You know, I've, I, I've, you've had callers in the past that have called in that say we need something like a a James Bond thriller that points out how evil some of these greedy people are. But it has to be different than James Bond in that it really has to concentrate on on the, the greed and the wealth concentrations harm of society. Yeah, and, and, and there's two ways to deal with that in, in a book. It, you know, in, in your book, The Fourth Circle of Hell, um, I'm guessing that probably at the end you conquer the greedy guy, which is what typically happens in a James Bond novel. In the in the movies that I just uh, pointed out, you know, uh, the, the the story of Mr. Potter and It's a Wonderful Life, uh, The Grinch and A Grinch Stole Christmas, and uh, you know the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and Christmas Carol, the greedy individual is awakened and realizes mm -hmm. that their greed was destroying them. You know, it was a mental illness. So there's kind of these two categories of how you deal with greed. And maybe a third one, which is you just work around it, you, you, you know, which is what we did from the time of the New Deal forward. You know, as I was talking with Tyrone in the last half hour, that you know, there were two generations that came out of the Republican Great Depression who understood, you know, the people who came of age in the 30s and 40s and 50s and the people who came of age in the 50s and 60s and early 70s who understood that greed was a bad thing. But the people who came of age in the 80s listening to Reagan and Friedman saying greed is good, you know, they're still stuck in this, in this, and they call themselves libertarians and objectivists and all this kind of stuff. It's nuts. Gary, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Diana in Preston, Idaho. Hey, Diana, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to put for you and your incredible viewers into a nutshell what the love of money does. And I've been saying this for years. I think I'm the only person who says it, but I say more money, more malo. Malo as in bad in Spanish? Malo is evil in Spanish. Evil. More money, more malo. That's what we just say. More money, more malo. <laughs> ah, more money, more evil. Yeah, Diana, it's a more great... More money, more malo. It's a great slogan. I'm with you. I'm with you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, doesn't it say in the Bible, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Yeah, Jesus said that. <laughs> Specifically. Jesus said that. Yes. Yes. And, you, and you know why it's so hard for a rich man to get into heaven? Because he's trying to hang on to his money, I'm guessing. Well, the pursuit of money and wealth and, you know, everything that goes along with it takes you further and further and further outside of yourself. Right. Out of the and spiritual realm. Yeah. yeah. It's what Paul said to Timothy in, in, in Luke 12. He said, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and uh -huh. uh, spot on. Diana, I've got to move along. And thank you very much for the first, call. Is, I'm sorry? Yeah. It, it also says the first will be last and the last will be first. Yeah. There you go. And that's from the, from the Sermon on the Mount, as I recall, in Matthew. Diana, thank you for the call. And uh, thank you for listening to us there in Preston, Idaho. What do we do about greed in this society? How do we change this cultural consensus that Reagan flipped on its head 40 years ago? How do we change that?
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I mean, we literally still have Republicans out there saying, you know, anti-greed programs, social welfare programs, for example, are terrible things. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Yeah, Tom, well, you know, you've been, and it is Hanukkah, and you've been kind of quoting the scriptures, but my point here about greed is if we allow these uh the right wing, the Republican Party, to be the ones to take hold of the leadership of this country. As Isaiah warned in Amos and Jeremiah, where is the term Jeremiah? Especially Jeremiah. They <laughs> warned that if you keep this up, if you keep up this greed, gluttony, pride, lust, jealousy, anger, and sloth, you're going to lose your country. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, did you show him all the did you show them, I mean, in the Babylonians, all of the riches of the temple? Oh, yes, we certainly did. We were very proud to do so. He said, it shall all be lost. That's what Isaiah said to Hezekiah. And so that's the, and this is exactly why, if, if we turn it over, this is what Vladimir Putin wants. He wants America to crash so that he can get some of it. He's a revanchist. He wants, he wants his power back, uh, to be the great leader of a, a big, gigantic uh, empire. And, you know, th- we need to help people understand that the greed, as we've talked about this in this program many times, that when people are al- allowed to pool and acquire huge amounts of, of money, that they don't spend, they're taking it out of the economy. And the economy is like an electric circuit. It depends on electrons or dollars to flow from one to the other. And if they're taking it out, and sitting at it, not only are they using it for political war chests so they can hand it over to the politicians who would continue to allow them to pay nothing, and then that's what we've done. We, this is what our, our huge debt is, the fact that it is greed that's just uh, been since the Reagan years, is that we feel good about uh, 
our economy's been essentially propped up by $30 trillion worth of borrowing to make us look rich so that the rich don't have to pay. And did, you, did you catch, Paul, last night the special on CNN that Fareed Zakaria narrated about China? I did not. You got to go back and watch it. It, it, I'm okay. sure that they will replay it. It was shocking. And uh, it, it's not just Putin. <laughs> Bottom line here, it's, it's you know, it, there are multiple countries that want to see America fail. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, I mean, Jared Kushner just went over to Saudi Arabia last week. There's no doubt in my mind that, the, you know, the increases in the price of oil, you're going to see world oil prices being manipulated as a way to hurt Joe Biden. You're going to, sure. and, 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 you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, it's a, it's a you know, it's, it's about as far from a democracy as you can possibly get. I mean, it's a hereditary monarchy. Um, you've got, uh, you know, uh, the UAE, same deal. You got Qatar, very similar. You've got a country, you know, Singapore is yeah. a semi-police state. Um, you know, North Korea is actually apparently playing in the, in the social media space. Now, obviously, Russia, China, um, uh, Iran is playing in that space. And, and what are they doing? They're all, they all seem to be encouraging... You know, the, the, for example, there's a, there's a piece, I forget where I saw it this morning, I think it might have been on Raw Story, about how one of these countries, that might have been Russia, is actually encouraging Ted Cruz in his blitherings about Texas seceding from the United States. It's like anything to tear this country apart. And, uh, sure. and greed is a great lever. It is the, well, the great I, lever. Can I point out, too, Tom, that one of the other deadly sins, which we call sloth, is often called laziness, but actually it means apathy, mm -hmm. not caring. And we have another, a whole bunch of people in this country that, I mean, apathy is as bad as greed. Yeah. And, and that's well, grab, we Apathy so facilitates people. greed. Exactly. And I'm, I'm with you. Paul, I got I want to get another caller in here, but thank you very much for the call. Bill in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hey, Bill, thanks for listening on SiriusXM. What's hey. up? Hey, Tom, nice to speak with you. I just want to make a broad uh, observation, and that's uh, corporate greed in this country is heavily responsible for the rise of China's economic growth and prowess, and it's at the expense of our, the United States, manufacturing base. I would say almost entirely responsible. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Deng and, and Reagan worked this thing out, you know, that that uh, and then you know Clinton, of course, gave them permanent normal trade relations. But Deng Xiaoping was this was his thing, you know, make China rich, and uh, you know, but but you know, be humble about it. Hold your you know, bide your time. I forget the exact phrase. It was on the CNN thing last night, and then and then comes the iron fist, and that's uh, apparently uh, President Xi. But um, I mean, how how many corporations were forced forced to give China? You know, when they went into China. Uh, like a 51 percent uh, majority in there, or companies. share your technology. Yeah, technology your sharing your technology is, is, is a, was a huge one. Uh, you're absolutely right. And and these corporations in America sent over 60,000 factories overseas, most of them to China, many to Mexico, some to Vietnam and Malaysia. But they did it for greed. They did it, you know, to increase right. share value. Exactly. They, you know, exactly. it was just it was just nothing more, nothing less than simple. Greed and it it has destroyed our Amer the American middle class. We've gone from uh, over two thirds of Americans being in the middle class to less to fewer than half of Americans being in the in, in the middle class now. That that happened five years ago. The destruction right. of the middle class is just just in the smallest way starting to recover as a consequence of all the, the supports 
that the Biden administration provided with their you know, emergency rescue plan this last summer. But uh, it's crazy stuff. Bill, thank you. Thank you. Excellent point. Excellent point. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Colin Woodard. It's titled Union, the Struggle to Forge the Story of the United States Nationhood. This is fascinating. Thirteen of Britain's 17 mainland North American colonies had won independence, having banded together to face a common threat to their respective political institutions, traditions, and liberties. They had created a joint military command, the Continental Army, and a sort of treaty organization, the United States of America, under the Articles of Confederation. Each of these American states was sovereign and independent, having agreed only to delegate foreign trade, defense, and foreign policy duties to their shared body, the Congress, which had fled from place to place during the conflict. Nobody really knew what this United States was, or what it should become, or even if it should continue to exist at all. These new states' citizens didn't think of themselves as Americans, except in the sense that French, German, and Spanish people might have considered themselves Europeans. If asked what country you were from, the soldiers who occupied Yorktown would have said Massachusetts, or Virginia, or Pennsylvania, or South Carolina. For years to come, newspaper editors across the former colonies would refer to the new collective not as a nation, but as a league, or as the American states, or confederated America, unsure of what it was or how long it might last. The ethnocultural landscape, with all its implications for nationhood, was even more complex. The descendants of English Puritans dominated most of New England and upstate New York. Those of Southern English gentry and their indentured servants and slaves po po populated the Chesapeake country. Those of the English slave planters of Barbados controlled life in the deep Southern lowlands. The legacy of the Dutch colony, New Netherland, had shaped the development of the area around New York City while that of William Penn's Quakers had begat an ethnic and religious mosaic with a German plurality up and down the Delaware Valley. The backcountry was overwhelmingly Scots-Irish, in constant friction with the coastal societies that usually governed them. If a nation can be described as a people with a sense of common history, culture, and belonging, there were, in effect, a half dozen of them within these United States, and outside New England, there wasn't a single state that wasn't divided between two, or in the case of Maryland and Pennsylvania, three of them. In the run-up to the war, one of the biggest arguments against leaving the empire had been that a shared British identity was one of the few things keeping the colonies at peace with one another. In 1764, one anonymous letter to the editor of the New York Mercury warned that if the colonies achieve independence, quote, the disputes amongst ourselves would throw us all into confusion and bring on us all the calamities usually attended on civil wars, end quote. In Maryland, Reverend Jonathan Boucher warned New Englanders would become the Goths and Vandals of America, conquering their neighbors. The founding father, John Dickinson of Pennsylvania, predicted that an independent British North America would collapse into a multitude of commonwealths, crimes, and calamities. Centuries of mutual jealousies hatreds, wars, and devastations, and until at last all the exhausted provinces shall sink into slavery under the yoke of some fortunate conqueror. Leaving Britain, he added, was tantamount to destroying a house before we've got another in winter with a small family. Wartime regional divisions were so profound that in 1778, 
The British secret agent Paul Wentworth reported there would not be one American Republic, but three. An Eastern Republic of independence in church and state, a middle republic of toleration in church and state, and a southern mixed government copied nearly from Great Britain. The differences between them, Wentworth argued, were greater than those between the nations of Europe. Even after the War of Independence, London papers reported that, quote, the states considered themselves 13 independent provinces subject to no control other than their own assemblies. The authority of Congress to which they have submitted, but from necessity during the war, they have now almost generally thrown off, end quote. Edward Bancroft, a post-war British spy, predicted the American Confederation would surely splinter, leaving only, quote, the question whether we shall have 13 separate states in alliance or whether New England, the middle, and the southern states will form three new confederations, end quote. One thing was clear to the Confederation's elites in the aftermath of the war. Unless a more formidable union could be negotiated, the United States would soon fall apart. Quote, I predict the worst consequences from a half-starved, limping government that appears to always be moving upon crutches and tottering at every step, George Washington wrote in 1784 and added in 1786, quote, I do not conceive we can long exist as a nation without having lodged somewhere a power which will pervade the whole nation in as energetic a manner as the authority of the different state governments extends over the several states, end quote. Everyone realized, Jefferson would later recall, that, quote, these separate independencies, like the petty states of Greece, will be eternally at war with each other, end quote. The Constitutional Convention of 1787 was called in response to this growing crisis and yielded a legalistic remedy, a stronger federal government constrained by elaborate checks and balances. The book, Union, by Colin Woodard. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Numerous countries around the world now are uh, putting restrictions on their travel uh, and reporting that they've found Omicron COVID among their populations, Scotland and Portland, and excuse me, Portugal, not Portland, Portugal. We have cases in North America. They're in Quebec, Canada. I, I'm guessing that in the United States, it's just a matter of time. It's probably already here. We're just not, I mean, you've got to, you can't just test for it with a test kit. You've got to actually do the, the analysis of the, of, the, uh, of the virus itself or the DNA of the spike or however they do it. It's more complicated. Uh, Japan has joined Israel and Morocco in banning all foreign visitors. The New York Times reporting, uh, Joe Biden went on television and said, you know, this is a cause for concern, but not a cause for panic. It's clearly, though, uh, 
well, I shouldn't even say anything as clearly because we really don't know, but it appears, given how this is now popping up all over the world, this is moving the way the Delta variant did. Remember, there was the original COVID and then there was the Alpha variant uh, out of the UK and that kind of popped up here and there. And then the Delta variant came along. And now the Delta variant is like 99% of all infections in the world, pretty much, and uh, or certainly in, in the Western world. And now we're seeing this Omicron variant just popping up all over the place, which would indicate probably it's more contagious. Whether it's more deadly, less deadly, nobody knows. Um, the most despicable thing of all of this is over on Fox so-called news, they're, they're, they had uh, the, the Fox and Friends people going, oh yeah, well, you know, it's a month before an election, so there's a new variant. All right, yeah, let's be cynical about it. Which, which brings my question, along with the uh, COVID transplants question, which I mentioned. But have Republicans lost their moral compass altogether? I mean, is this just, is, is the embrace of greed back in the 1980s that the Reagan administration open embrace of greed? You'll recall when Jimmy Carter had his uh, uh, inaugural ball, you know, they opened it up to average people. When Reagan did it, you had to spend huge, you had to give huge amounts of money to the Republican Party. And, you know, you had to show up in a, in a tux and all this kind of stuff. Reagan took a limousine from Capitol to the White House. Jimmy Carter walked. I mean, you know, there, there was this huge transition in January of 1981 when, when Jimmy Carter left office and Ronald Reagan came in, in America. Not just a political transition, but a cultural transition. And we are now 40 years out from that, looking back on it, going, okay, how'd this work out? And, and it's, by the way, it's not just greed. I had a caller earlier, I believe it was uh, Tyrone in New York, who was saying, you know, racism in the United States, white supremacy is also an aspect of greed. It's like, you know, white people saying, you know, we've got ours, screw everybody else. And literally trying to screw everybody else, trying to hurt other people, trying to prevent other people from, from you know, having a share of the pie that is, that is or should be the American dream. And this absolutely shocking poll that was uh, put together by the British magazine The Economist and uh, the polling agency YouGov, this is a serious, solid, this isn't one of those polls that just pops up on Fox News from some group you never heard of. I mean, this is a serious poll. Asked the question, do you believe Gregory Mike McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan should be found guilty for the murder of Ahmed Arbery? Now, at this, at, and this, this poll was done November 20th through the 23rd. This poll was done last week. It finished the day before the verdict. So this was a fairly clean poll. You know, people knew what they knew. They, you know, the, the video was all over the place. Only 32% of people who said that they had voted for Donald Trump said that these three men should be convicted of murdering Mr. Aubrey. Only, only fewer than a third of Trump voters. 82% of Biden voters said, yeah, throw their asses in jail. Only 2% of Biden voters said, no, they should not be found guilty. The remaining 16% were not sure. But among Trump voters, it was only 32% who said yes. What does this say about the Republican Party? 
There was a, a, another remark. Fareed Zakaria did two absolutely remarkable specials yesterday on CNN, and if you haven't had an opportunity to see them, I encourage you to track them down and watch them, whether it's, uh, I, I'm not sure if they're available online at CNN's, CNN's website or if you're going to have to wait for the next time they play. But um, the, the morning one was basically how, how the Republican Party went nuts. And then the evening program was about the rise of, of, uh, of China. And they are both just like, you know, must watch. But the how the Republican Party went nuts part, the rise of Ronald Reagan and Newt Gingrich, the role that Newt Gingrich played in all this, of corrupting our politics. What has happened to the Republican Party? Have they completely lost their moral compass? I'm, I'm thinking so. Here, Marjorie Taylor Greene just tweeted out, quote, the most important thing Republicans can do is to stop the funding of vaccine mandates. Republicans voting for funding of OSHA. This, now, these, these mandates, what she's talking about is the requirement that Joe Biden uh, executed via ex executive order that has now been stopped, not killed, but stayed. It's on hold from a Republican judge. But what Biden request, or maybe it wasn't an executive order, maybe it was a, a statement from, actually, I think it was OSHA itself, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which has the authority to regulate the workplace, said, if your company has over a certain number of employees, my recollection is it was 100 employees, but I could be wrong on that. But if your company, maybe it was 1,000, but if your company has over a certain number of employees, you must require all of them to be vaccinated or not come to work. And so Marjorie Taylor Greene goes, goes on to say, Republicans voting for funding of OSHA will be voting to fund communist tactics used against the American people. Vaccine mandates are unconstitutional, no matter your stance on vaccines, she added. This is her rant. Communism. You know, I mentioned this last week, and in fact, I should probably write an op-ed about it because I think that this is such an important point. When people like Green and other right-wingers are talking about communism, they're not talking about the fact that in communist countries, everybody has health care. You know, Cuba is producing, they are, they are now producing four different vaccines that have been developed by scientists working for their government. No profit motive whatsoever. They're selling them to countries all over the world. And they've got one of the highest vaccination rates in, in, outside of the developed world on Earth. That's not the kind of communism we're talking about when Marjorie Taylor Greene is talking about communism. She's talking about the, the aspect of communism that caused the government in Cuba to threaten to arrest people who demonstrated against the government. It's the totalitarian aspect that you see in so many communist countries. You're seeing it in China now as well. You're seeing it also, and, and arguably even in greater form and force, in some non-communist countries. I mean, look at what Modi is doing in India or Duterte in the Philippines, or Bolsonaro in Brazil. But nonetheless, what she's actually saying is, look out, this is totalitarian behavior. Which is very bizarre for a Republican to say when the Republicans are openly advocating totalitarianism. They are openly, they're, they're saying, we don't believe in elections. We don't want people to vote. We are taking on to ourselves in state houses the power to change elections to make it harder for people to vote, to decide that some voters, just their votes won't even count, to purge people from the voting list based on their color or their zip code. And yet they're, they're, they're saying, oh, and, and by the way, let's not save the lives of Americans by mandating vaccines. 
This is sick and twisted stuff. The other thing is Nancy Mace. Uh, I, I saw this on CNN and I thought, wow, a rational Republican. On Sunday, uh, Nancy Mace was on both Fox and CNN. She's a Republican from South Carolina, member of the House of Representatives. And on CNN, she said, COVID is serious business. I'm a long hauler. This is a disease and illness we should take seriously. And I want to encourage the American people to talk to their doctors and talk about getting vaccinated. I was recently diagnosed, Caitlin, with asthma, and I had COVID-19 a year and a half ago. I'm still feeling the repercussions a year and a half later. Sounds like she's like pro-vaccine, right? She went on Fox and said... One of the things that the CDC has not done and no policy at the federal level has done or taken into account is what natural immunity does. And that may be what we're seeing in Florida today. In some studies that I've read, natural immunity gives you 27 times more protection against future COVID than a vaccination, which by the way is not true. It's not only not true, but having had COVID does not prevent you from getting it again. If you had the original COVID, if you had alpha or beta COVID, you can still get Delta COVID. If you've had Delta COVID, you can get Delta COVID again. The vaccine provides much better protection. But here's this Republican lawmaker. Obviously, you know, where was she telling the truth? On Fox or on CNN? I don't know. But obviously very comfortable with going on national television and lying through her teeth. This is today's Republican Party. And I guess the question out of that, uh, beyond have Republicans lost their moral compass, because that's almost a rhetorical question, it's so self-evident, is how do we handle this? How do we deal with this? How do we deal with media like Fox News and Right Wing Hate Radio that openly promotes lies and falsehoods that have killed hundreds of thousands of Americans unnecessarily? What do we do about this? I mean, I'm here every day trying to tell the truth and just lay out what's actually going on. And I think that's one of the most important things we can do. But there have to be other things. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.